Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The way of the cross, it's getting shorter and shorter. We're almost there. Next week, believe it or not, is Palm Sunday. Holy Week follows. And what happens in today's text lights the fuse for the events that will lead to Jesus' death. In our text, we have Jesus pausing to wait a couple of extra days before going to visit his friends. In the eyes of some, perhaps he's late because by the time he gets there, Lazarus has been dead for four days. An old favorite film of mine, The Princess Bride, there's a quote by Billy Crystal who plays Miracle Max. And after the main character has died, Max says, it just so happens that your friend here is mostly dead. There's a big difference between mostly dead and all dead. Mostly dead is slightly alive. See, uh, there was a superstition in Lazarus' time that the soul lingered around the body for three days, and after that third day, on the fourth day, the soul would depart. As such, from a superstitious standpoint, Lazarus being dead for four days has now passed the point of no return. There is not a resuscitation happening here. Lazarus was not just mostly dead, he was all dead. And we hear this incredible confession out of the heart of Martha about her faith in who Jesus truly is. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Martha is a close enough friend to Jesus that she can be blunt with him. Jesus knows and can handle anything that's in our hearts as well. And you can't help but wonder and ask the question to yourself, was, was Martha being just a little touch of anger and hurt that Jesus didn't come sooner. I mean, come on, Jesus, you could have prevented this. You and I are close friends. Doesn't that garner some type of special treatment? But that's not the case with Martha. We see in their coming sentences that she has an incredible faith in who Jesus is. See, this is more of a matter-of-fact statement than it is an accusation. Martha's words to Jesus are not a rebuke as if saying to Jesus that he had come sooner, then this would not have happened, but instead these are words of just pure grief mixed with faith. Because she is confident, she's expressing this confidence that if Jesus had been present when her brother was ill, then surely Jesus would have healed him. Jesus responds to his dear friend Martha and he says, your brother will rise again. Jesus already has the plan. He knows what he is going to do. And he has both the not yet and the right now fully in view. The plan is in place. And it's interesting to me that Jesus doesn't apologize for showing up late to the party. I would apologize. It just kind of seems like the nice thing to do. I'm sorry I didn't get here earlier. I was... I can't say I was busy because I intentionally waited a couple of days, but I'm sorry about that. You see, Jesus doesn't apologize because he's done nothing wrong. He's set up the opportunity 
to glorify the Father through what is about to happen. Martha makes this confession, I know that he will rise again on the resurrection on the last day. See, Martha has this great perspective of focusing on what is to come, the not yet, the resurrection, the future, the eternal kingdom of God. That which Paul in his epistles prompts us to focus on. And I know about the not yet, but what about the now? You see, focusing too much time on the now is easy for us to fall into because we know about the fullness of God's kingdom, the world put right. It'll be spectacular, and it will make the struggles of the right now seem inconsequential. But what about the right now and the struggles we face? Well, personally, my answer to this is knowing that this current suffering that we experience in this world is temporary. It has an end. In the recovery world, there's a saying that this too shall pass. And when they pass, all the suffering will not only end, but will be reversed and undone. Jesus affirms the statement that Martha makes, and he says to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? He asks Martha. Those who have died before Jesus returns will be raised from their dead and their souls reunited with resurrected bodies. And and those who are still alive when Jesus comes will be changed from mortal and perishing to immortal and imperishable. As the pastors were considering this text this week, we couldn't help but look forward to our sunrise service over in the cemetery and thinking about how busy of a place that will be when Jesus comes back. See, Martha was blunt with Jesus, and Jesus responds with Martha in much the same way. Just being blunt with her, he knows how to communicate with us uniquely and individually. She said to him, Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into the world. Hear this confession that Martha makes. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God who is coming into the world. Martha calls Jesus the Christ and the Son of God. The identity of Jesus is coming more and more clear. It's coming more and more into focus. And as that identity is made known, the tension between Jesus and the Pharisees increases. And then we find out that in the midst of all of this suffering and this grieving, Jesus is deeply moved. Now, it should seem funny to us that in the face of death, Jesus is deeply moved. Because if anybody knows, it's Jesus who knows that this is just a temporary situation. That the end is sure and certain glory. Now, there's this Jewish funeral custom that dictated that even a poor family was expected to hire at least two flute players and a handful of professional mourning women whose jobs were just to wail and to mourn so that sufficient grief could be expressed. And Mary, Martha, and Lazarus certainly were not poor individuals, and so in addition to the tears of Mary and her Martha and their grieving friends, there were 
doubtless quite a bit of professional grievers at this funeral. When Jesus saw all of this, a better translation than deeply moved was outraged in spirit and troubled. In, in other Greek sources, this word is used for the snorting of horses. He's indignant. He is angry that there is this mourning going on. John adds that he was troubled. See, rather in the same sin and death, the same unbelief that prompts his, his outrage also generates this grief. See, Jesus sees what death does to his precious creation and it makes him angry at death. Jesus is not sad that Lazarus has died. He is angry and indignant at the cause of sin and the result in this world. Sin has ruined his creation. Sin has caused his people to suffer. Sin has ended in death. Sin brought about by the enemy in the Garden of Eden and every day following. Sin that must be dealt with once and for all. Sin that only he could overcome. And Jesus sees and knows the impact of sin on your life as well. The mistakes that you have made. The hurts and pains that others have caused against you. Sins that impact us. His masterpieces covered in sin and it troubles him greatly now hear me clearly Jesus is not troubled by you he loves you and while you were yet sinners he loved you so much to come and suffer and die and rise again but he is indeed troubled by sin and his response is Jesus calls to life Jesus said, take away the stone, Martha, the sister of the dead man, and said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead four days. Man, that's a, that's a bad idea, Jesus. The smell will be horrible. The King James Version says it so wonderfully, he stinketh. <laughs> and the plan here is more than just to raise Jesus' friend, Lazarus, because the end result of this miracle is a bigger picture. The end result is the trigger for the events of Holy Week. This miracle will finally push the religious leaders off the deep end. And Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed you would see the glory of God? And here this glory of God that he's referring to is not the, not the majesty, not the praise that people offer him, but it's the undoing of all the consequence of sin. It's his revelation, self-disclosure as the savior of the world, the, the undoing of the consequence of sin, the healing of all wounds, physical, emotional, and mental, the perfection of relationships that are unrestricted by sin, the removal of doubt, depression, anxiety, fear, and the fullness of love and joy and peace full to overflowing and Jesus cried out with a loud voice Lazarus come out well interesting that he uses the name to come out 
Some scholars believe that if Jesus hadn't just said, Lazarus, come out, then the entire graveyard would have been risen from the dead. Lazarus, come out. See, this is the same voice of creation that spoke, let there be, and there was. And he speaks now, Lazarus, come out. And he does. The man who had died came out, his hands and feet bound with linen strips and his face wrapped with a cloth. And Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. We can draw an an analogy here with this being bound. As we are bound with sin, Jesus is the one who unbinds us. He sets us free. Jesus speaks to our circumstances. Believe in me and I will unbind you and give you the life of freedom. Free from sin. Free from death. To be unbound. It's the most refreshing, most liberating feeling I have ever had in my entire life. To know the weight of sin. The weight of guilt. And have it lifted off. That's a, that's a feeling I pray that everyone everyone has the opportunity to experience. This morning, as Pastor Sam absolved our sins, as we come to receive the very body and blood of Jesus Christ, to feel that weight of sin lifted off your shoulders this morning, that you are unbound. Jesus removes your bindings today. Now, I also wondered... How in the world would Lazarus's life be different from this point on? There's a part of me that wonders if he's just a little bit disappointed. <laughs> like, he was just in paradise, and now he's back. Like, bummer. Now, granted, his, his family was, was very, very grateful, very, very excited. How would that change your life? What changes would God want to make in your life? How is he continuing to grow you? Ask yourself the question, are you the same person you were five years ago? Or has God continued to enable you to grow, to develop, to mature, to become a disciple that's made in his image? Here at St. Luke's, we are poised in a very special season. Pastor Arp and the staff have done an amazing job setting us up for something new, for a new season, a new chapter, for us to continue doing this ministry of St. Luke's Lutheran Church and School. That's what I'm very excited about, that we can look ahead and walk as disciples together this transformed life of freedom. To know that we are set free from the law and free to live as he designs us to be. This life of joy that being a Christian does not mean that we are ho-hum and boring, but we can live an exuberant and joyful life. It's a life of sacrifice. Giving up what God has given to us to bless those around us in a way that impacts our lifestyle. And a life of renewal. That God makes constant changes to us. 
making us more and more into the image of Christ. And here the fuse is set, and it's lit. And the religious leaders begin to plot his death. So the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered the council, right? This is what sparks the events of Holy Week. This gathering of the council is far more than just quiet whispers in a dark alley or people talking together a little bit here and there. This is the gathering of the council. This is official. We are putting together a plan to put Jesus to death. One of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. From the lips of an unbeliever comes incredible truth. We see Caiaphas return again in Acts chapter 4, along with Annas to question Peter and John, who continued to carry out Jesus' ministry. And to this, Peter responds, Let it be known to all of you and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Caiaphas did not say this of his own accord, but being high priest, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation. Amazing. God's still using the high priest, even though he has no faith in Jesus, but using him to speak the truth. It's easy to paint these Pharisees as all evil, along with Judas, the crowds chanting, crucify him, the soldiers who mocked and beat him. But all of these difficulties, God knew, Jesus knew, would be used for a purpose. That this suffering would be used to the good of those who love him. As in the death of Jesus would bring the life to us all. Consider your own struggles. And know that God promises to use them to his glory, to your benefit. Our Lord has the authority over even life and death. And so today he calls you back to life, unbinds you from your sin and calls you to live in a new way. And he gives you the promise, the promise that he will call you out of your earthly grave into eternal life with him. And may this give you peace that passes all understanding in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen.